What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Ben here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt, a Bitcoin podcast. I sat down first time in a long time with Greg Foss, the boss, Canadian hero, expert of credit markets, sovereign credit markets, and a Bitcoiner who's getting into the energy space as well, helping facilitate the the merging of the energy sector and the bitcoin mining sector it's a beautiful thing to see we had a great conversation talked about evergrand the state of credit in the world how the fiat collapse is accelerating how energy and bitcoin are merging and much more i hope you guys enjoy this trip was brought to you by our good friends at the mother fucking cash Cash App's here to help you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats, if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 because sats are the standard. There's 100 million sats in one whole Bitcoin. You don't have to stack a whole Bitcoin. You don't have to stack a whole fraction, or excuse me, a fraction of a Bitcoin. You can stack whole sats instead. Cash App makes it very easy. You can DCA into sats. That's dollar cost average. You set a set amount on the cadence that you want. The cadence available on Cash App is daily, weekly, or biweekly. And you set it and forget it, and you stack sats in the background. On top of that, Cash App can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers. So you can get your direct your paychecks direct deposited into the app. It's becoming a new bank. They have their cash card accepted anywhere. Visa's accepted with their boost program. Sometimes you get sats back on that. I did last week at dinner. What else is going on here? That's it. If you haven't downloaded the Cash App, make sure you do so using the code StackingSats. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained coming over from Rabbit Hole Recap to the interview series. It's a great thing to see. Unchained Capital has a new website. It's no longer unchained-capital.com, though if you go there, it will redirect you to the main website, which is now unchained.com. And when you go there, you will see a plethora of offerings. The one we're here to focus on, though, is their Volt product. And they want to get more people onto their Volt product. Their Volt product is a 2 or 3 multi-sig uh, account where you hold two keys unchained holds one key it's a collaborative custody model you can always move your utxos out of your vault but if you're ever in a pinch you only have one key on you and you need unchained to be that second of the two or three signature they are there to help you and really this product is about eliminating single points of failure whether it be third-party custodians like exchanges uh, where a lot of users hold their bitcoin you don't really own your Bitcoin unless you bring it into a wallet that you control. And this this vault is a wallet that you control since you have two of the three keys necessary. Uh, two of three keys that can move the Bitcoin. You need two. You have two. You can always control that. Another single point of failure is single SIG wallets. Uh, you lose your wallet, you lose your passphrase, you're shit out of luck. This helps distribute that risk among more keys so you can lose a key. You can lose that passphrase, or excuse me, that seed phrase, not the passphrase. Uh, and there's still mitigation. Since you have one key, Unchained has one, you can still access and move your Bitcoin, and then you can replace that lost key with another key. They have a white glove concierge service that's going to answer any questions you may have. They're going to have multiple video calls with you. They're going to explain multi-sig. They're going to explain their vault, how that works specifically. They're going to walk you through the process. They're going to send you hard, two hardware wallets. They're going to get you comfortable with creating private public key pairs backing those up, those seed phrases up, and then they're going to teach you how to create a multi-sig wallet. So you're going to create a vault, and then you're, you're going to dump a 1,000 
cuck bucks worth of sats into that vault. If you tell them that TFTC sent you, you're going to get $50 off this package, okay? And it's included, again, multiple video conference calls, hardware wallets, 1,000 cuck bucks worth of sats, uh, and they're going to walk you through it. If you're if you're not sure, if you want to go full-fledged into it, they're also offering free one-on-one consultations. If you want to learn more about this without committing to the White Glove Concierge Service, they're, they're here to teach you as well. So go to Unchained.com, check this out, tell them TFTC sent you, go check out everything else they have to offer. They just added Jeff Vandrew and his Key Keeper IRA to the fold. They, they absorbed that beautiful RIA product, and they're offering that as well. So they're, they're adding retirement solutions and uh, estate planning solutions to their stack. So it's a beautiful thing to see. Again, unchained.com. I'm sorry, I'm listening. My son's napping right now, and I'm the only one here. I can't tell if he's up. Doesn't seem like it. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to get more individuals in the mining game. They want to distribute, further distribute the personal ownership of hash rate amongst more individuals. This will make the network more robust. That's the way Compass Mining works. You go to compassmining.io. They have ASICs available for you. You pick your ASIC that you want to want to use. You buy it. Uh, and then they also have the ability for you to uh, pair that ASIC with a hosting facility with competitive electricity rates uh, so that you can mine profitably. You, you buy the ASIC, you pick the hosting facility, the AC gets plugged into the hosting facility and they start streaming you sats to wallets of your choice, addresses of your choice. On top of that, they've just added at-home mining feature. They want to get more. They've answered their customers. Customers say, hey, I want to mine at home. Don't necessarily need the hosting. Love that you guys are giving us access to, to ASICs. And so they heard the call and they're providing uh, a product for you. So they're going to make uh, the ability for individuals to buy miners, get them at home, and then figure out how to set them up uh, much easier. They have a support line. Uh, they're going to they're gonna offer clients the ability to talk one-on-one with a personal advisor to help uh, figure out how to actually plug it in, the electrical infrastructure that's necessary, how to connect to a pool, and and do, do everything from home. It's a beautiful thing. So go check out Compass Mining at compassmining.io. Uh, we have a special link in the show notes if you want to contribute uh, specifically to this show, if you're if you're thinking about using Compass, you can do so using the link in the show notes. Shout out to Compass. Shout out to more individuals getting into the mining game. The further hash rate is distributed, the further hash rate ownership is distributed, the better for the network. It's a beautiful thing to see. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by Brains. Brains is the company behind Slush Pool, the oldest running mining pool in the world, founded in 2010 with over 1.25 million bitcoins bitcoins mined in its lifetime they've been operating slush pool since 2013 are always working on improvements such as the big upgrade that was launched earlier this summer which includes extra f- ultra flexible payouts oh i think that is my son oh is he okay oh i'm getting yelled at i don't i think it just started like i think literally uh oh, I had to pause there. That was my son. I'm, I'm, I'm getting yelled at by my wife who just walked in. I was like, how long has he been up? I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully not long. I'm on the third floor. He's on the first. I heard a peep. You guys heard me hear, hear the peep. Okay? You heard it. We have documentation. I was going to finish this two minutes of ads and go pick him up. I'm an incredible father. Where was I? The upgrade of Slush Pool this year. It includes ultra-flexible payouts that can be either time-based or threshold-based mining, reward splitting, or automatically distributing rewards to multiple wallets, and of course, Dark Theme. 
Brains is a Bitcoiner company through and through, and they're working on the most unique and cutting edge projects in the mining industry, including Brains OS Plus auto tuning firmware and Stratum V2 mining protocol. And they're hiring. If you're a Rust developer, systems programmer, or if you have experience with embedded devices, there may be a place for you to join the team at Brains. Check out Brains, that's B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com slash careers to see open positions and submit an application. As for the big question, when what's minor? The answer is still soon TM, but the team is making steady progress and Brains OS Plus is running smoothly on the machines in the Brains offices. Meanwhile, Jan, who was on TFTC episode number 73, along with Pavel, go check it out. Uh, and he was also on Citadel Dispatch last week, spreading hot alpha. He's been grinding away at adding support for the Antminer X19 generation that is now progressing into private testing. That means at least some models of the X19 generation will be supported before what's minor, but no exact ETA yet on the public release. Currently supported devices are the Antminer S9, S9i, S9j, as well as the S17, S17+, Plus, S17 Pro, T17, T17+, Plus, and the ones added this summer, the S17e and the T17e. Public service announcement, if you're running Brains OS Plus firmware, you do not need to point your hash at slush pool. You point it anywhere you want. However, if you do point at slush pool, you're going to get 0% pool fees. If you want to get unique insights on the Bitcoin mining industry, along with the updates on Brains OS Plus, Stratum V2, and other Brains projects, check out the Brains blog at Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com slash blog, and follow the lesser known at Brains underscore systems, systems, plural, Twitter, uh, where the team is posting deep dive threads on various mining topics. Enjoy this episode with Greg Foss, the boss. Please forgive me for being a bad father. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts, so it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case Tripped. for Bitcoin. Sitting back down with the boss, attention. Greg Foss. Greg, how are you? Probably doing? should be. Things are great, Marty. Thanks for having me. It's been a while, and uh, I'd, I'd like to take the opportunity at this point to uh, thank you for getting me on the uh, the radar. Yours, your podcast. The last one we did together got the the ball rolling, and I'm uh, I'm pleased to say yesterday I did three podcasts in one uh, day. So. Three in a day. Three in a day, man, and uh, including with your buddy Peter McCormick, and then Jay Gould, uh, who I've come to know and very very respectful of. And then at the end, we did a live one with uh, Swan Bitcoin Brady, and uh, I was on with Andy Ed Strong hitting the circuit hard these days man yeah you know it's uh i guess i'm in demand you're in high demand i mean there's a there's a lot going on in the world particularly around sovereign credit default swaps that's why i pinged you i sent you a tweet that highlighted uh china's sovereign five-year credit i believe uh, beautiful the price of their cds's was skyrocketing which signaled to me at least that that participants or market participants were willing to pay a premium on insurance of a a default of some sovereign debt in China. Is that a correct synopsis of or description of of what that that price increase means? Couldn't say it better. I think perhaps the best way to interpret it though, Marty, also is that the market is pricing it as the equivalent of a triple B type of credit risk in the CDS market. Now, uh, triple B is not inherently a bad rating. Uh, there's, 
you know, certainly other countries that are worse, uh, worse rated, according to S&P. I'll just say, though, that for the world's second largest economy, it's not a position of comfort. Triple B is one uh, rating level above the so-called junk or non-investment grade uh, uh, rating by S&P. China still has a single A credit rating by S&P, but the market is pricing it much closer to a triple B. So you always have to anticipate that the market is smarter than the rating agencies. Certainly we saw that in the case of Lehman Brothers, the great financial crisis and all the downgrades that happened there after the market was telling you these downgrades were gonna happen. So I'm not predicting that uh, China is gonna fall off a cliff. I'm just telling people, watch the market. The market is truth and the market is pricing China much closer to a triple B than its implied rating. It's been paying attention to China, particularly their real estate development market for the last decade. I mean, we've all heard the stories of the ghost cities that have been erected by these these large development firms like Evergrande, which is the uh, the famous Chinese real estate developer has been in the news for the last few weeks as they've been approaching default uh, on their loans that they, they owe a bunch of banks and then a bunch of consumers that they also uh, issued debt to, I guess. Or, or. I, you know what they did is they essentially, it's yeah, it's a liability that the consumer uh, homeowner anticipated owner made a prepayment on a house that... Uh, or an apartment that may or may not ever get completed. Um, but that goes as a liability on their balance sheet, correct? Mm-hmm. And so how would you describe the Evergrande situation? I mean, there's there's a bunch of theories out there uh, about the the, uh, the the number of outcomes that could happen from this. So right. the ones I've heard, it, it's like it all depends on whether or not the CCP steps in and, and bails out either Evergrande or the, the lenders who, who lent money to Evergrande or, or yes. gave cash for uh, future development of, of apartments. And then, so there's that scenario. And then there's one where the Chinese government doesn't step in uh, and just lets, lets, lets it collapse. And if that happens, does a contagion break out outside of that uh, niche real estate market within China? Uh, and it seems like news came out last night, or at least rumors that the CCP is thinking about nationalizing Evergrande, splitting it up into three businesses uh-huh. and, and taking it. So, over. yeah. So let's, let's start with the facts. Um, firstly, um, if Evergrande has approximately three bill, uh, sorry, $300 billion worth of debt, about 200 billion of it is with the, uh, homeowners who have made a prepayment. Now, so those aren't public debtors, obviously, those are, you know, homeowners that are not in in a good spot, but uh, it's not uh, held by large funds. The publicly traded debt and bank debt is under $100 billion. And to put that in context, uh, the Lehman Brothers on balance sheet exposure at Lehman Brothers was $600 billion. And that was in the great financial crisis. We know that they defaulted. And then after that, another hiccup in the market was the Greece debt restructuring in 2012. And they had about $200 billion of debt. Um, looking though at Lehman Brothers in comparison, the very important thing that's different between Evergrande and Lehman Brothers was not the on balance sheet debt, it was the off balance sheet exposure. Things like the credit default swap market where Lehman was a counterparty that may have sold insurance to a, a, uh, 
a buyer of, of, of insurance or a buyer of protection. And then all of a sudden, if that derivative contract uh, defaults, the buyer of the insurance is uh, out of luck. And it's much like saying, you know, I bought fire insurance on my house, but my house burned down and then I go to collect from the insurance provider and he's no longer in business. So it was the off balance sheet exposure in Lehman Brothers that was really the, uh, the, the systemic uh, crisis, you know. Uh, there was rumors, for example, if AIG was allowed to fail, that would have allowed that would have caused Goldman Sachs to fail as well, because Goldman had purchased so much uh, credit insurance from AIG, etc. So you don't have that in the Evergrande situation, and that is very, very important. So these cross default concerns uh, don't exist, and 90 billion or 100 billion of publicly traded debt and bank debt is uh, really not a big situation with respect to a global market uh, concern. The reality is, though, there is risk, um, and these uh, using Jeff uh, Booth's uh, expression, you never know which snowflake causes the avalanche. This is not a good thing, um, but let's let's analyze other things in the market that would uh, indicate that it is in my opinion at this point still contained to the property developer group in uh in china so the first thing is this uh no, the market is not signaling distress uh the bond market it's signaling it's over okay so uh there's an old trading ac axiom that i used to um joke about or not joke i lived by actually when i traded junk bonds it was called the 60 40 rule and the 60-40 rule basically says bonds never live in the 60s for long. They either fall in price into the 60s, at which point they become stressed entities, and they recover to the 70s because, uh, you know, the market sees them through this type of uh, crisis, whatever that was causing the crisis, or they gap down into the 40s, which is their you know, historic recovery rate on subordinate debt is a about a 40 cent on the dollar recovery. Um, here's the funny thing. Evergrande bonds are already trading below 25 cents. <laughs> okay. So what does it say? Well, if the 60-40 rule were to apply, we now have to trade it, change it to the 60-25 rule uh, applying it to China. And one of the reasons it would have fallen that much is because there's no natural distressed buyers in uh, in China like there are in the United States, where there are these dedicated large funds that are set up to uh, capitalize on opportunities that occur in distressed debt. But understand this, Marty: when someone's buying debt at 25 cents on the dollar, they're not buying it because they actually think they're going to get 100 cents on the dollar back, right? They're buying it as a restructuring candidate where they might be able to work out a situation where they get 45 cents on the dollar back. So the return is not a yield to maturity return. It's a return on capital calculation where you're trying to make 15 or 20 cents on a 25 cent investment. So you're trying to, you know, maybe double your money, but it's by no means a bond anymore. This is now going to be a restructured equity. And assuming this was a North American company where we, uh, you know, understand the court systems pretty well, we know that the government tries to stay out of things like this until they can't. Um, just putting that in, 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 in perspective, though, 25 cents on the dollar is quite funny that people still look at the equity for guidance in Evergrande. The equity... Yes, it still has trading value, but it has no intrinsic value from a, a claim 
in the capital structure. Again, if the bonds aren't worth 100 cents on the dollar, the equity in theory is worth zero. Now there are restructuring workouts where they cram down a, a, a solution to the equity holders where there's a small equity reward. But right now the equity of Evergrande is a deep out of the money option that's being punted around by people who are hoping for a headline that says the CPP is gonna come in and, uh, and rescue the, uh, the capital contributors. I'm, I'm not playing in that square. And I, 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 anything I'm talking about right now is not financial advice, but I would just tell you, if you're punting around Evergrande equity and that was a North American equity, understand you're not trading the equity, you're trading an option. And in my opinion, a deep out of the money option that, uh, you know, if you really thought there was recovery value anywhere, you'd be putting your money in the debt, right? Um, you know, you hope to buy the debt at 20, 25 cents on the dollar and turn that into a, uh, uh, 40 cent on the dollar restructuring under some sort of scenario where, you know, they do have a lot of land, they do have uh, uh, asset value on the balance sheet, but don't forget there's also $200 million of, uh, of liabilities to Chinese consumers. And I think that's where the bigger contagion rests. But one final reason I'm gonna point out from a debt perspective that I think it's largely contained to the Chinese high yield market Firstly, the Chinese high yield market is yielding uh, over 14% right now. Um, compare that to the US high yield market, which is around 4%. So there's a delta of 10 percentage points. That's a thousand basis points, okay? Um, there's, that's huge. But what is the high yield market in China? It's largely property developers. And secondly, and most importantly, Evergrande is about 15% of that market. Well, when you calculate a yield on a bond that's trading at 25 cents on the dollar, that yield makes no sense, okay? Because it's just a mathematical calculation. In theory, what would be your annual IRR if you bought something at 25 cents on the dollar and let's say it matured in eight years at 100 cents on the dollar with a coupon of let's say five? Well, that IRR makes no sense. It's, it's it, well, it, it's a number, but doesn't make sense from a, a market perspective because you're not going to get your hundred cents on the dollar back, or the chance of you getting your hundred cents on the dollar back is minuscule. So, the Chinese high yield index, though, is calculated based on this yield to maturity calculation for a borrower that accounts for 15% of the market. And that calculation is not the right calculation to be making at this point. So, if I can expand or not expand, but uh, uh, pound the table on something for your listeners out there. Spreads and yields are for kids, okay? Spreads and yields are for kids because when it comes right down to it, bonds always trade for a price. And that price, like any other transaction that occurs in any market, is determined and, and, and said, uh, contract, that's it, sold to me, I buy at 25 and a half, I'm open on more, for example. But that 25 and a half, you're not saying, hey, I'm buying it at 14,000 basis points. No, you don't say that. You say, I'm buying at 25 and a half, you're doing the, the calculation in your head, whatever it means, but you're not, again, buying it and, and, and translating it to a yield that trades on the high yield market in, in, uh, in China, except that's what the guys are doing uh, when they say that the Chinese high yield index yields 14%. So that's one very important point. The other thing is, if you look to the investment grade market in China, spreads there 
have largely almost contracted. They've actually shown that there's less risk in that market because they feel that a crisis in the high yield market will dribble down to more people looking for quality. Mm-hmm. And so this is all part and parcel of me saying there's only $90 billion of debt. When I say only, imagine only, <laughs> it was only a, a problem. A drop and the, in the second part is days. it's not leaking into the investment grade market in China yet. It was accurately reflected in the CDS market. And we're back. Can you hear me? I can I, hear you. Sorry, that's uh, I need a new computer. That's all my fault. Sorry, freaks. We're back. That was we cool. Were, you were in the middle of describing. Uh, yeah. So, so, so the the contagion hasn't leaked into the uh, investment grade market yet, but it it was reflected in their five year CDS. But let me do a quick calculation for you on what that meant on the value of a contract, where the CDS spread went from uh, twenty eight basis points, let's say, to forty basis points on five year Chinese CDS. Very quickly, I can tell you that that translates to a price on the contract difference of about 50 cents on $100, 50 cents on $100. It's not a, you're not going out of business if you've sold protection on a five-year CDS on China and your contract is down by 50 cents, okay? It's a spread. And again, spreads are for kids. Spreads are what the common person looks at to try and differentiate what's really happening in a market. Um, bigger problems. The Chinese, I'm, I'm told that there's over a million Chinese citizens that have exposure to Evergrande and have put their um, uh, savings into uh, land. You know how much land uh, accounts for and real estate accounts for in China. It's over 7% of their GDP. So this is a crisis of uh, confidence, if you will, psychological contagion rather than financial contagion. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and we can talk about some of the implications that I see, but anyone else can figure out what those implications are, including a reduction in Chinese GDP is almost inevitable. Uh, so we'll go from there. Yeah, no, that's so having followed this for like a few weeks now and sort of understanding that the, like you just mentioned, the risk of financial contagion outside the real estate market probably isn't, it's not gonna be like a Lehman moment, even though I've said it's possibly could be many times over a couple of weeks, but now I'm like, all right, uh, having come to understand what you just described, the, the amount of overall exposure is rather minuscule compared to um, what Lehman had on the books or excuse me, off the books. Uh, but what you just mentioned, like the psychological effect, there's like something like one to one point five million people who have exposure, whether they they bought uh, rights to future development or they're just contractors that uh, depend on Evergrande for for all their business, painting uh, wood, whatever it may be. Like, and we are we're already at a point in the global economy where things are very fickle, particularly in the supply chains that are heavily dependent on Chinese the china manufacturing hub of the world like if you have a, a crisis of confidence amongst the chinese citizens that leads to uh people losing jobs and losing money does that slow down manufacturing even more over there and is that the ripple effect that, that begins to uh, materialize across the world and i think that's exactly the way that i see that as a bigger risk so let's play out some scenarios there um you know, the Chinese consumer is now not able to count on land and appreciating value of land 
What if the Chinese consumer says, that's it, I'm going to start consuming more? And they become competitive in the global markets for consumer products that we've relied on them to produce so cheaply. Uh, is there an inflation trickle down there uh, around the world? If not only does the Chinese consumer um, want to, you know, enjoy life more, uh, what if the government, and this is what is I've read in certain places, Xi says, we want you guys to become consumer focused. You know, we want to build a bigger part of our consumer of our economy based on the consumption habits of our population. Then all of a sudden, the global supply chain is, which used to be just, uh, uh, you know, export China, export cheap labor, export everything becomes, oh my God, there's a billion citizens that have changed their consumption habits. Uh, I'm not predicting it, but I'll also say it's a non-zero probability that this could have implications for, um, not just the consumer, but also cheap labor, right? What if, what if that we were relying as a global supply chain on the cheap labor and that starts to dry up? It's just another avenue that global inflation could actually be less transitory than uh, certain people are, are predicting. <laughs> I think uh, it's becoming glaringly clear that this inflation is not transitory at all. And, and again, like this situation, while it may not be a Lehman moment, in the sense that it leads to a financial contagion, it could be a just like another snowflake on the the stress of the global supply chain, which is heavily centralized in China, and it, it it's scary to a certain extent, especially considering here in the U.S. Like I wrote about it in the Bent yesterday, like we're seeing. <laughs> empty shelves in grocery stores and I saw your I saw your excellent right. email on that I think you said it was in a uh, was it in a Walmart or a Wawa it's a, okay it's a chain uh, uh, native to the northeast part of the U.S. is starting to spread down the east coast as well but I believe okay. that particular Wawa is in Florida okay <laughs> yeah you know you just um what what does transitory mean exactly as well is it just some weak you know, uh, clown show shop speak is what I like to think of it. You know, it's, it's like, it's just, if the, if the world is, 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 uh, trading on the basis of a lawyer's interpretation of what's going on in the global economy, I think we're all in pretty big trouble and we are in pretty big trouble. Okay. Um, I said uh, on a podcast yesterday and I, I don't mean to, you know, trade off of different podcasts, but here's the truth. Uh, you know, fed, uh, Powell is a lawyer. I'd much prefer to have a poli uh, excuse me, a politician. I'd much prefer to have a mathematician in that chair, a guy who's actually sat in a risk chair in his life, understanding how markets can quickly lose confidence and how things can tumble out of control really quickly. Um, you know, it, it, it's the world is in a uh, is in a, a very uh, precarious state right now because there are no shock absorbers left. Uh, fixed income is no longer an asset class. Uh, you know, the Fed has successfully pushed that down to a, a an asset that you're picking up nickels in front of a steamroller on that one, and yet. The only other asset that's out there that has a, a you know a traditional asset that has a semblance of uh, performing, which is equities. I mean, the, the valuations in equities are at historical crazy levels because there's no other alternative for people to try and preserve or save their wealth, except the alternative that we all know, but it is not properly being disseminated to the or educating the the the, the common person. Yeah, and it's. 
It's insane too, because this particular situation with Evergrande, it seems like this week, it's funny how it's the culmination of all these events. Just the timing turns out to be perfect because the FOMC meeting this week, a lot of people were expecting some taper talk and the whole, it seems like they're, they're like pushing tapering down the road. The Fed has been posturing like they want to taper uh, at some point in the near to medium term. Uh, but this, and the reason for tapering, they need to raise rates and cut back a little bit just so they can raise them lower again. They needed to create room to, to, to create options for themselves. Mathematically impossible, Marty. Mathematically <laughs> impossible. The funny thing is a taper, how, let's even define taper. Does that mean tapering from purchasing $80 billion of, of uh, securities a month to 60? Like until you get down to zero, don't even talk about other things that you can do in the market uh, or pretend you're going to do. The math is certain. Fiat's are in a debt spiral. It is accelerating as as the physics guys would say, the escape velocity is now impossible to achieve. Acceleration to the downside is a certainty. Don't talk to me about tapering and what that'll do to the other uh, fiat currencies in the world. When the U.S. dollar strengthens because they stop, uh, you know, easing as much as they are or printing as much as they are, the U.S. dollar goes up in value. Emerging markets crater, okay, and the global economy goes in the shitter. It's it's like have people forgot the playbook? It's it's just that simple. Yeah, and it's <laughs> yeah, like. Again, empty shelves. They can't taper anymore mathematically. And even though they're posturing that they're going to step back from that ledge yesterday. Uh, it, what? Where do we go from here? Like, I guess we got to find out what. Well, we have a network going. transfer. That network transfer is from a currency, a fiat currency based, uh, uh, call it a store of value that we know is not a store of value. You have a currency, uh, fiat currency network transfer to a Bitcoin standard. And I'm going to borrow this line from uh, Nick Zabo uh, that I saw down in Miami, where he says, look, your fiat currency, it still will exist, but think of it as your checking account. And think of Bitcoin as your store of value savings account. And this is where I get excited. Uh, as a guy that's in the energy business, much like you are, uh, China has served up on a silver platter a chance for the Western world to uh, dominate in the Bitcoin mining space that they previously had uh, uh, a large share of. Um, China has done this historically where they've, uh, you know, in the efforts of, of, of uh, keeping communism alive, they destroy uh, an elitist, uh, or excuse me, they, they destroy a advancing technology and I'll throw this example out to you that I learned uh, from a smart young kid in Boston who said, did you know the Chinese in 1500s uh, dominated global trade uh, by merchant shipping because they had the best navigational charts of any uh, nation uh, and they were able to ensure, you know, using the stars that their ships would arrive in ports uh, at, at great distance. And the elites in China at the time viewed these new up and coming merchants as being a threat to the communist regime. So they took all the charts and destroyed them. <laughs> and then enter the British sailing fleet and they took over merchant vessels globally. And I actually view this as a similar thing happening with the, uh, the, minor, the minor space. Look, China may have known that how powerful dominating or having a, a high market share in the in the in the uh, Bitcoin mining square was 
but they also viewed it as a threat to their power, their ability to control their citizens and the transfer of capital out of uh, China. So they said, okay, we're getting rid of it. And the US and Canada and North America and you know all the other Western countries, I, know, I see that Germany is higher than, uh, than uh, the USA now in terms of nodes, Bitcoin nodes. Um, this, this is a gift, you guys. This is like something that you're supposed to take and run with it and, and, and thank the, the good uh, fortune and also realize that you can have a parallel system that exists where you have a fiat currency, which is your checking account, which is going to debase. We know that it's done that for hundreds of years. And then you have this beautiful technology called Bitcoin, which is your savings account, your store of value. And you can actually, the two of them can work nicely together. In my opinion, uh, is it work in process? Yes. hundred percent. It's better than the alternative though. If we only have the fiat standard and you think you have this thing called a global reserve currency, which is the U S dollar, it could be a global reserve currency, but your U.S. treasuries are not a global reserve asset because those treasury bonds are just a fiat contract that is programmed to debase. I mean, who in their right mind owns a 10-year U.S. treasury at 1.3% when you know that in 10 years, you're highly likely to get your money back, not 100% certain, but highly likely according to the CDS market. But when you get your money back in 10 years, it's worth like 65% of the purchasing power of the money that you put in to begin with. Yeah. What a dumb contract that is, isn't it? That's uh, not a savings account, just a leaking account or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but that's so that the adage, or the, the, I, I, there is that weird thing about China where like the, uh, there's like every about 500 years they have this yes. chance to dominate and they somehow yes. screw it up uh, and obviously the mining is a big thing but one thing I worry about particularly here in North America is that our idiot politicians ruin it with terrible energy policy like and I think Bitcoin can help uh, fight against terrible energy policy because it helps make us more energy efficient but that's one thing I worry with Trudeau uh, up, up in Canada and Biden and, and crew down here in the US um, trying to to force industry into a certain energy mix that is unreliable yes. and, and not sustainable will eventually rise uh, cause prices of electricity to rise which could hurt the mining industry if it's too expensive but i have faith in uh, the entrepreneurial spirit of americans and canadians alike to successfully push back against that because it is getting to a point where it's nonsensical we so, have a uh, a particular politician up here in canada well two of them actually uh, one who's, uh, I can tell you honestly, I've been in touch with him. Jeff Booth is a friend of his. I would like to call Pierre Poiliev a friend, but we're not on, on that basis yet, but certainly we're a confidant. Uh, uh, he, he won his riding, uh, so he maintains his seat in the House of uh, Parliament in Canada. He has confirmed he's a Bitcoiner. Um, I, I'm not taking anything out of context. Uh, he, I helped him uh, buy the Bitcoin, uh, and I'm happy to say that. But Pierre understands it. Pierre has gone on record as saying, it's crazy that Canadians are selling surplus nuclear energy-generated electricity we're not selling it. We're paying Americans in the northern peninsula of Michigan to take our, our, our excess energy, Marty. Because as you know, you don't power up and down a nuclear reactor, right? You got to get rid of that energy. And, and this is, she goes, uh, Foss, uh, doesn't it make sense that uh, we should mine Bitcoin with this? 
And I go, hallelujah, Pierre. Thank you for being, you know, accepting the, the first law of thermodynamics, which is the rule <laughs> of conservation of energy could be the most beautiful thing for Canada. And we got a lot of surplus uh, uh, hydro resource energy uh, up here. Um, that's on the grid though. I like the off the grid solutions. Uh, that's the power company that I'm involved with. It's the stuff that you're doing. Uh, when you control your energy costs and your the certainty of your energy costs, meaning if you're not on the grid, no one can tariff you out of, uh, out of existence, sometimes like what they, they're thinking of doing in Texas. I'm rooting for Alberta here because Alberta has a similar structure to the ERCOT situation in Texas, but what they also have is an ambient air temperature in Alberta that's 20 degrees Celsius cooler than Texas. Yeah. Man, oh man, that's a big issue when it comes to Bitcoin mining and the miners themselves, as you know. So I want Texas to succeed. I want Alberta to succeed. And I know Pierre Poiliev understands the benefits of this to a global uh, or a, to a nation. Uh, the un unfortunate part is uh, Trudeau got in power again, and he doesn't understand 11th grade math. So uh, he doesn't understand it, but hopefully his time is limited. Well, not only that, but I just think he's a bad actor. I mean, pushing this build back better world economic. Oh, he's world. part of that. He's part of the establishment, right? The only thing I could ask people to do out there, if you uh, want to read a very interesting book, uh, read Ma Margaret Trudeau, who is uh, 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 Justin's uh, dad. Uh, excuse me, mom. Read her book about her uh, uh, her experience when she was married to Pierre Trudeau. And then ask yourself this, is there a possibility that there's a lot of um, a concern with uh, uh, Justin's, uh, um, uh, I won't go any farther than that. He, he is, he is uh, absolutely endorsing some very foolish policies. And you could ask, is there a chance that he, um, you know, that, that Margaret uh, did acid when, uh, when he was in the womb. And I'm saying that not because I want it to be true. Just read her book. Um, it, there's no question in my mind, but I'm not telling other people to, uh, to uh, uh, interpret it that way. The reality is this, uh, Justin Trudeau is uh, uh, been, he, he, he aspires to be a, a G7 uh you know um minister if you will um part of the part of the the establishment there's no question and that's dangerous when you're throwing around policies where you have no understanding of what the uh implications of taking uh all fossil fuels offline right like come on okay you can say you want to do that but how come there's power shortages in central ontario right now have you maybe legislated too much fossil fuel off of the uh off of the grid Wow, eh? I mean, especially considering how like Canada could be not only energy independent, but one of the biggest exporters of oil in the world if they really wanted yes. to be, and they should be. It's just... So the positive thing that's happened is, uh, sorry to jump over you, uh, there's actually a, uh, a uh, publicly traded equity in Canada called True Energy, mm -hmm. DR, that uh, announced they're mining Bitcoin with their surplus or stranded energy resources. You know what was so beautiful about it? It was just nonchalant. They just had it in yes. 
We're just like, hey, we, oh, by the way, we have 11. A little like, bit Canadian five. of them, right? A little bit, uh, <laughs> okay, you know, we're not sure how the market's going to react to this. So we're, uh, we don't want to suck and blow at the same time. So we'll just like, we'll release it in this, uh, in this, uh, uh, you know, sort of incognito way. Um, I think I predict way, way more energy uh, companies are going to do that. It only makes sense. Uh, building on Michael Saylor's uh, thesis that Bitcoin is actually digital energy or encrypted digital energy, people will understand that pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, there was the Houston Bitcoin meetup last night where it was mainly oil and gas execs meeting with Bitcoiners. I, I mean, I've seen it in Great American Mining. All the all the big boys are coming. It just makes too much sense. You have all this wasted yeah. energy, and you can turn it into a significant revenue stream. You can yeah. fight back against the polluting narrative and the the onslaught uh, against the oil and gas industry uh, altogether. Hey, we're being extremely efficient with with all of this, and uh, so I think it's, I think it's time for the oil and gas industry as a whole, whether it be here in the United States or Canada, to have some confidence, have some backbone, push back. The oil and gas industry provides an immense amount of utility for all of humanity. We wouldn't be able to have the products that are we're using right now, this mic, this computer, my cell phone right here, this cam without petroleum. Like It, it makes the modern world go round. And for some reason, the last couple decades, uh, the environmental hy hysterics have uh, allowed the oil and gas industry to be painted as this massive villain when they're in reality a massive benefit to humanity in, in modern world that we have today. hundred percent. I, uh, a chance for me to shout out a very valuable research publication that I subscribe to, uh, Larry McDonald, um, of the bear traps report. Um, great publication. You got to pay for it. Um, but much like, uh, uh, any good publication out there, there is so much information in there about how the governments have, it's an ESG catastrophe, essentially, where you're seeing power prices in uh, in in the United Kingdom, for example. They've had a very low uh, energy wind uh, year, a wind event, if you will, and all their windmills uh, produce far less uh, uh, or generated far less energy than uh, or electricity than anticipated. And you're having shutdowns in the manufacturing sector where the plants have to be taken offline because it the, the grid is unstable. Um, this is ESG backlash, very, uh, very clear. I mentioned that we're having the same problems in Southern Ontario. That's the manufacturing hub of, uh, of, of Ontario where, uh, you know, there's no way that, the the, the local, uh, uh, hydro one, um, uh, can, can provide certainty of, uh, meeting the power demands of the manufacturing in the greater horseshoe area that's called that's the southern ontario this is uh this is very uh concerning because you know if a global uh company has the opportunity to set up in southern ontario and he's comparing that to uh you know somewhere in the in the midwest uh united states he's going to look at that and say well i'm going to take i'm going to take uh, the midwestern uh, uh option over the southern ontario option and look i love the united states and everything I've told you guys that, but I also love Canada and uh, I, I just, it's just economics 101 and it's always about a network transfer, whether we're talking about Bitcoin to the, uh, to the fiat or the fiat standard to the Bitcoin standard or network transfer from um, fossil fuel 
uh, nuclear to wind and solar, I don't actually think that is a network transfer that makes sense. But you just don't stop one and, and say we're going to do 100% of the other one, right? It's just bad planning and, and, and foolish uh, uh, a thought process. So uh, I love nuclear. I love fossil fuels. Until energy gets to uh, a 22 cent kilowatt hour price, you and I both know, Marty, that wind and solar doesn't make that much sense. Uh, it's just, it's all on subsidies. So big problem. Big problem. And in your, like, I completely agree. Like it doesn't make any sense to make a transition from these reliable to these unreliables. And a good friend of mine, Max Gagliardi, who's in the energy industry, runs the Talk Energy podcast uh, he, the way he describes it is like, if you're going to make a transition, an energy transition, it has to be an order of magnitude improvement on the quality of life or the ability for individuals to leverage electricity to, to produce goods in the economy. And, and how do you do that? You lower prices. This does the exact opposite. We've seen it in Germany, in the UK, in parts of the United States, yeah. parts of Canada, uh, all over the world. Uh, we've seen the decommissioning of reliable fossil fuel plants and nuclear power plants uh, trying, attempting uh, with markets, attempting to replace them with unreliable wind and solar and just causing increase in prices and right. uh, decrease in reliability of the electricity being delivered to, to end consumers. And it doesn't make any sense. Like we're this energy transition, the only way we should ever make an energy transition, if it considerably lowers uh, prices while increasing energy density. And the, this does the literal opposite. It's uh, insanity. Uh, I hear you. And this was another uh, call. Uh, so another shout out to the Bear Traps report. I had no idea, not thinking, you know, we lived in privileged nation, the nations, uh, only 7% of Indian households, India household, households in India, only 7% of them have air conditioning. Can you imagine the, uh, the draw on the grid when that increases to 40%? You know, do you think, and, and by the way, oh, so our global warming guys, we just don't want to allow the Indians to increase their uh, uh, quality of life. So they're not allowed to have air conditioning in their house, but we are here in North America. Come on, this doesn't work that way. You know, you, you, so 7%. So imagine the actual gigawatt increase in the global grid that is required for that uh, to happen. And it's a fact of life. And as you correctly point out in your publications all the time, every single advancement in human productivity and human quality of life and standard of living has been accompanied by an increase in efficient energy usage. Yeah. That is a fact. Don't overthink it. And embrace the ability of the Bitcoin uh contribution to the clean energy uh movement to actually be such a positive to that and that's that's what our narrative is up here what we're trying to help if we can educate the population that there are so many other sources of wasted and stranded energy that are not being efficiently used if you can transfer that into uh, a bitcoin mining operation that enhances the uh, uh, wealth of a nation or of a province, but not just a company. So a province or a nation like Alberta, like Texas, you're supposed to support that. 
permanent funds baby let's get these bitcoin permanent funds in we can you can if state has uh, if a state a province a country has energy assets that are being wasted pop a bitcoin mine on there and roll some of those profits into a bitcoin permanent fund that can appreciate in value as bitcoin monetizes and you can actually lower taxes and decrease friction increase jobs it's a win-win-win-win all around and it's it, it's it seems simple right to uh to guys that can think outside the box but uh if you get uh your msn um S, msm uh information from the from the networks that are biased to the uh to the you know the faulty uh green narrative uh you know oh yeah hydropower is so pure my partner in validus power is an indigenous canadian I'm not certain that you can convince a lot of his um, family members and, and uh, community that uh, building a power dam in Northern Ontario is a beautiful thing uh, because it buries all their land, but it's green. <laughs> well, you know, come on, let, let's think beyond the, the narrative that hydro energy is this beautiful, clean resource. Yeah, it is. But don't forget of all the land that you buried to build the dam to generate the turbine. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, we, we I get I get increasing amounts of hate mail, Marty. And one of the good things is that it, it means that that the truth is being told. Right? We need to tell the truth. Your publication is beautiful at doing that. I'm sure you get tons of hate mail as well. But the alternative to listening to the drivel coming out of the mainstream media is listening to people that actually understand things like mathematics, things like conservation of energy. Most importantly, people who tell the truth, not a narrative that is scripted by, I'm not sure who's scripting it, but here's a neat thing as a Canadian that I've noticed. Um, I used to, I don't anymore, but I used to watch all three major US networks um, in Canada every single night. Uh, because they come on at different times in Canada, whereas in the United States, they're mostly on from 6.30 till 7 in your local news area. Mm. In Canada, I can get ABC News at 8 a.m., excuse me, at 8 p.m., CBS News at 8.30, and NBC News at 9, okay? So over that period of an hour and a half, I could watch these three uh, shows, and you'd think they were somewhat independent, but it was crazy how of the five stories they would cover every single night three of them were exactly the same the fourth one was you know uh potentially a little of their own um narrative and then the fifth one was oh this is abc is about oh let's celebrate this generation whereas cbs was doing another do-gooder uh, uh idea the point being the top three stories were always the same and always reported with exactly the same um angle towards oh well it's got to be this way because, uh, you know, uh, uh, everyone else is saying it's this way. And as a Canadian, I finally had to turn it off and say, I, I, I've had enough of this. Um, it, it is somewhat coerced. Um, and uh, this is why I've it started to embrace the Twitter and the Bitcoin community in particular. I've never met a better source of uh, truth than Twitter. Uh, now, you can argue that there's a lot of uh, FUD and drivel on on Twitter as well. And that's part of the freedom of speech option. But the beautiful thing is I've been introduced to this community. I have never found a community that has so much collective intelligence and integrity 
Um, and I'm proud to be part of it. I thank you again for introducing me to this community. I think when I uh, went on your podcast the first time around in uh, probably, let's say it was maybe eight months ago or something, um, you know, I, I might have had a few hundred followers and now I'm actually at a point where my kids are celebrating my uh, my <laughs> follower count and not because I'm saying anything uh, that's out, outrageously smart, but what I try and do is tell the truth as I see it. And sometimes the truth hurts, right? But we need to tell the truth because there's too many people out there who are hiding behind the lies of the IMF and the lies of uh, Lagarde and these people who are totally conflicted to the truth. Yeah, just, well, I'm completely flattered that I, I helped jumpstart the no question the, the Greg Foss glow up. But uh, I mean, that's that's what I try to do here is find good people speaking truth, and I completely co-sign exactly what you said. We need more truth in this world. That's, I do get a lot of hate mail because people don't like that I aggressively say. We should not be transitioning away from fossil fuels. These people are trying to, maybe they're not trying to, but the, resu the results of their actions is a controlled demolition of the modern economy that we have. And I don't want that. As somebody with an 18-month-old son, I don't want him to grow up in a world that is worse off than the one I grew up in. And I will speak out unabashedly. I, luckily, the career I've set for myself and Bitcoin succeeding has allowed me to to say things and not worry about the repercussions because I've inoculated myself sufficiently, but somebody has got to do it. Nobody wants to speak the truth or Bitcoiners do, but a lot of people don't want to speak the truth. A lot of people don't want to hear the truth. And it feels as if we're at a point in human history where if more and more people don't understand the truth, we're going to go and devolve into a very chaotic Mad Max world. Luckily we have Bitcoin. Thank God we have Bitcoin. I'm very optimistic that this message is going to get out there. I think another thing too, with this particular time, 2021, heading into 2022, it seems like the powers that be, the little guards, the uh, Bank of International Settlements, uh, presidents in the G7 are scaring, not scaring, but they're, they're rushing. They, they, they can tell things are, they're losing control and they're trying to speed up their transition to whatever it may be, this central bank digital currency world where they want to put social credits on everybody and control everybody. It, it seems like they're getting sloppy and they're speeding up. And I don't think they're going to be successful just because I think they're too old. Number one, uh, it's becoming too obvious that they're lying and they don't actually know what they're doing. And it's becoming too obvious that the top down control of these systems, particularly, particularly the global economy does not work. We need something new. And it's, I don't know if the onus is on Bitcoiners or uh, the individuals we're trying to reach, but like, we need to get this word out there and we need to get more people onto a sane Bitcoin standard. Your, your, your daily email is a source of, uh, uh, you know, is a go-to for me. Your daily comment at the end is quite funny. Um, <laughs> good, good work on that. Um, uh, I laughed the other day. You said something about your wife or something, not oh. that you were disparaging her by any means, but it was a classic <laughs> family comment. So um, I, I encourage everybody who's listening to us right now to go back to Marty's. Uh, I think Marty, maybe share it again. If you are just talk about how you got into this business, because when your dad, you know, you sat down with your dad and you said, I'm not sure what direction I'm going in. And, and I've, I'm, I'm uh, so great work on sticking with that. I'm, being introduced to young kids on a daily basis who are reaching out to me because they want to help make a change. 
I'm, I promise you, if I said I met five kids like that a week, I'm not exaggerating or embellishing. Um, I am meeting some very smart young kids that for some reason are reaching out to an old fat guy in Canada <laughs> that, uh, that basically uh, has some experience in the financial markets. And it gives me hope. Um, uh, another shout out to, to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Dylan LeClaire, for uh, mm. all the work he's doing. And he opted out of the Keynesian brainwashing that he termed the University of Vermont was uh, educating him with and decided to become his own uh, educator, doing work that other people uh, don't get exposed to in school because, you know, there's a there's a, a, a curriculum that is traditional and it doesn't talk about the fact that banks are regularly insolvent, you know. Um, that's real world experience that, uh, that you need to live and, uh, and, and that's important. So people gravitate towards me when they say, Foss, how is it true that the Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent uh, in 1988 when you started working with them? And I run through the math and I go, that's sort of scary. That's the fiat Ponzi. Don't think of Bitcoin as the Ponzi. The Ponzi's fiat. It's very simple mathematics. And it doesn't mean that fiat should not exist. It just means understand it for what it is and don't store your value in your checking account. Store your value in your savings account, which is uh, your digital energy, your Bitcoin. Yes, completely agree. Do you think there's going to be a need for some civil disobedience on the on the horizon? as these governments try to clamp down on all this? Yeah, um, I'm not one to advocate. So I'm a proud uh, supporter of all the uh, uh, first responders and uh, people who uh, volunteer for the military in both of our countries. Uh, I support that. I don't think that uh, I advocate rising up violently uh, against the state in any in any way. And when I say the state, I say the state in a good way. So a guy like Stoney, um, who I who I admire, uh, but has a bit of a different uh, outlook than I have. Uh, I'm not saying I'm right and he's wrong. All I'm saying is my preference would be a a transition that's a network transition where people appreciate the good that can come from something without having to press the buttons that uh, that require civil dis disobedience. Um, I advocate obeying the laws as long as they make sense. Uh, I uh, advocate defending our nations when they are being attacked. Uh, and if you have to do that with, uh, you know, history shows with, with force, then you have to. But certainly, uh, it wouldn't be my preference, Marty. I, I want this to be a, a transition that is beneficial to everybody, including people that don't even understand uh, that'll get dra dragged along by the pro positive benefits of this. There's too many people out there that love staying at home and collecting a check from the government because, uh, you know, it's sort of fun to get money put in your bank account uh, without having to work. But it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. You can't print your way to prosperity. And, you know, young kids will learn over time. But one of the things for certain is, um, you know, there's something to be said for old guys that have gray hair that have lived through a thing or two uh, that aren't necessarily taught in school. And uh, I'm not saying that's me. Uh, I am old. Um, I, I do have uh, very uh, a lot of experience sitting in a risk chair that uh, where I I saw the world melting down in 1988. I saw the world melting down in 1998 with long-term capital management, 
in 2008, I think I said this to you before, I was certain it was over. Okay. There was absolutely no way the world was going to survive the crisis, but they did. And the Fed did what they had to do. The problem in 2008 is the Fed never paid back the money they pulled forward. Mm -hmm. And when we had the chance to do it properly from 2008 to 2018, nobody had the guts and the financial markets basically called the Fed's bluff and, and, tan and had a tantrum every time they said they were going to taper. Well, now it's too late. Now we have reached the point where it is inescapable. We have, it's impossible to ach achieve escape velocity from the debt spiral. It's only math and it's what happens when you exceed you know, we are currently at 400% debt to total global GDP. So total global debt to total global GDP is 400% or four times. There was a chance we could have dialed it back when it was uh, manageable, but it's no longer manageable. And it's a physical, you know, it's a, it's an absolute certainty that this will accelerate. And so that's where we are. So let's fess up to the truth. Don't try and uh, sugarcoat it. You may think you're getting your UBI is a, is a beautiful thing where you get money put in your bank account. I assure you, you're just stealing from the future of the kids and we need to solve this. Yeah. A couple of things here. First off, when I say civil disobedience, I mean peacefully. Just running your oh, good. Okay. transactions, not like not okay. going and hacking people. Uh, and agree there, but the, your last comment there about like getting money dropped in your bank account and, and it's just pulling forward uh, future consumption. Uh, like people are starting to notice this. It's like, Hey, I'm getting paid more. Uh, e even if it's not getting uh, helicopter money from the government in unemployment checks or UBI, or whatever it be, even like going out and working at a restaurant that's willing to pay higher wages because less people are willing to work. They're like, Hey, I'm making a lot more money, but I'm not getting any more goods because the price of inflation's outpacing that wage growth. People are starting yeah. to wake up to that. Normal people are starting to wake up to the, wake up to that, and I do think I like to be optimistic as too. Obviously, on this podcast and the newsletter, I, I do give the doom scenario quite a bit, but I do think there are natural forces here that are going to make it inevitable. Like especially the energy industry getting into this yes. it is the base of humanity. Energy, like if we get the the Exxon's, the ConocoPhillips, the Cruise, the BPs, all the nuclear generation companies and other utilities, like it's it's game over. It's like, how are you going to tell the base layer of society that they cannot participate in this because it's making them better, making them more secure? Like how? So, well, two things there, Marty. So first of all, let's understand that Crew Energy only has a market cap of 300 million Canadians. So, so that's just like, okay, thanks for coming out, but like you, you really don't matter. But if you got a billions and, you know, tens of billion dollar uh, energy company, like you mentioned, the, uh, the Conoco's and the Exxon's uh, to, to start doing this, yeah, that would be a game changer. The other thing that's important, and um, I, I need to state this so I don't get too much hate mail. Look, I'm a capitalist with a heart. I, I understand the need to support the people who are less privileged. I'm, I'm privileged, all right? I think I've worked hard for this privilege, but there's no question I'm a privileged uh, guy. Um, and I want to support the people that, that, that don't have uh, uh, quite as uh, solid a, 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 a perhaps fi financial footing as I have. Here's the truth, though. I need those people to also want to work and to benefit, to, to bring out the best in their own lives because we just can't be handing money to them and saying, okay, just stay at home. Um, I just traveled across the country with my daughter and Canada is a beautiful country. I know the U.S. is a beautiful country, but there were pockets of 
despair that I passed in places like Northern Ontario, uh, places, even downtown Vancouver has its, uh, has its spots that you're just like, wait a minute, this isn't how it's supposed to be. It wasn't like this five years ago. Something is wrong. And we've been printing money pretty hard for the last five years and things have gone uh, pear-shaped in certain areas. And, and that's just the problem right there. So again, look, I'm a capitalist with a heart. I, I, I want to help the less privileged, but you got to help yourselves as well, including the nation embracing a, an energy standard and a Bitcoin standard that can, can, can solve so many of these problems. So maybe that's a good place to, to sign off. I just want to say, you know, I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's a good thing, I guess, because uh, I'm, I'm getting increasing amounts of, uh, of of good and bad feedback. Here's here's what I have is three kids, uh, and my three kids are probably the most well. They are the most important thing in my life, and I don't want to hand over a world that I had a hand in making uh, uh, unstable. Uh, because I never had the guts to speak up against it. When I started at Royal Bank of Canada in 1988, and I saw the fact that Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent, do you think a 26-year-old Greg Foss wants to run out and say, the Royal Bank of Canada is insolvent? Like, yeah, that would have done really good for my career, wouldn't it? If I, I mean, like, I never would have worked in finance again. And the, But the facts are the facts. And so now I'm 58. Um, I don't have FU money. But I do have a, a, a level of concern for the rest of the world uh, that I believe I need to speak out. So thanks for the platform. Uh, I really, really love what you guys are doing, you know, what you're doing in, in, in terms of educating the world. And uh, I'm proud to be part of this. I'm a proud pleb in this uh, Bitcoin community that is optimistic, it's intelligent, and more than anything, it is motivated to make the world actually a better place. Well. Wow. Thank you for all your contributions, which have, which have been immense over the last year. Uh, it, it's crazy how anybody, if not me, then who? That's that's your mentality. If not me, then who? You, know, you got to come out here with people. Spread the truth and paint an optimistic pu- uh, view of the future. It's it's tangible. A lot of people are straight doomers. There's a lot of opt- there's a lot of things to be optimistic about. We have the the tools and the capacity to build a better future. It's right in front of us. It's just whether or not you're going to go out there and get your hands dirty and make it happen. I think gentlemen like yourself, uh, I don't want to blow too much smoke up my own ass, but myself as well, we're out here. We're doing it. We're doing it because, again, we realize that it's tangible. It can happen, and we want it to happen because when I started this, I'd have a child, but now I'm more motivated than ever uh, to, to make a better world for my son and hopefully future children that, that my wife and I have. Beautiful, beautiful. Get out in those waves. Surfer Jim, call out to Surfer Jim. Hey, <laughs> uh, okay? so uh, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, I look forward to our next uh, uh, chance to meet up, whether it's at a, uh, at a uh, Bitcoin meetup or, uh, or something in the energy business. We'll, we'll be meeting up. I and mean, we need to meet up in person. It's, it's long past due. Greg. Greg Foss, the boss. Thank you again. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Peace and love, freaks.